From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. We are at the end, almost, of the annual legislative session. I thought it might never actually come. I know the end is in sight, and I can't believe we're finally saying those words because you could certainly make the case that this was the most unusual legislative session in state history. Uh, Andy, it was your first session covering the Capitol, so this is kind of your new normal, huh? Yeah, but even I I can tell that this was not normal. (laughs) I got a few weeks of a preview of what a typical session looks like. Then we disappeared for a couple months as the, uh, the session adjourned, and it's just been a chaotic rush to the finish this last little bit. For this episode, we'll discuss some of the measures still making their way through the state house on the coronavirus pandemic, police accountability, the budget, reflect on the overall session, which took a lot of unexpected turns. And that, that's quite a long list of stuff that still needs to be settled in just the next couple of days. It is now Thursday, June 11th at 12.26 in the afternoon, just telling you because things are likely to change between now and whenever it is that you're listening to this. I think it's safe to say things will have changed by the time someone listens to this. And first off, let's touch briefly on some of the hot bills that are getting a lot of attention at the legislature since it might be our last chance to get to use this for a while. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. One of the ones that's picking up steam is called COVID-19 related housing assistance. That's one of those great, very literal titles. And that includes just about $20 million for various housing programs, including eviction defense and grant funds for housing. That's all coming from CARES money. That is a substantial shot for affordable housing. Uh, it's a pretty good chunk compared to what the state normally spends on that hmm. uh, on that purpose. And then Senate Bill 163 is a vaccine measure that has managed to hold one of the top spots on the hot bills list since it was introduced months ago. It initially cleared the Senate in late February. Uh, it's had a very contentious long hearing over the weekend, and it will soon be on its way to the governor. It requires parents who want to opt a child out of vaccines to first get more information about vaccines. This will probably be the last bill to finally draw a big crowd to the state capitol. I think that's right, yes. This was one that had pretty broad support outside of the capitol among the general public, but definitely strong opposition among certain constituencies. And then uh, we have a bill that was new, recently introduced, on police accountability that wasn't something lawmakers were intending to pass at the beginning of the session. And it's had a large amount of bipartisan support. It passed the Senate nearly unanimously. It bans the use of chokeholds. It changes when law enforcement could use force. And it makes it easier for people to directly sue law enforcement who break those use of force rules. This feels like the kind of bill that normally would have come from some two-year study committee, a blue ribbon committee, months of debate. It felt like it would have been on the scale of death penalty repeal, which happened earlier this year. And instead, it really flew through the legislature at a speed that we've seen kind of amaze even some of the hardcore police reformers. And I think that's part of the way that these protests have helped to shift public opinion. I saw some polling that showed Black Lives Matter as a movement. Its net support went from a net negative back in 2018 to something like plus 28 favorable now. And especially in the last two weeks, even, that shift in public sentiment towards supporting 
the idea that Black Lives Matter. I heard you people working on this police accountability bill said everyone came to the table more than they've ever seen before, although a lot of these concepts and proposals have been discussed for years, so those aren't new, but it all coming together in one bill like this as fast as it did, I think is pretty unprecedented. Yeah, it just feels like this shift occurred in everyone's mind where it suddenly seemed not just possible, but inevitable. I don't think any of us expected to be ending this legislative session in mid-June. Remember, lawmakers took about a two-month pause because of the coronavirus. So it's very rare to even be at the Capitol this time of year. The state had to quickly adapt to these changing circumstances that came along very rapidly. The budget is a great example of that. We began the session with lawmakers thinking they had money to play with for new programs, and here we are now. Yeah, it was always going to be a budget fight because the budget was looking reasonably tight going into this year for legislators, but they thought that at least they'd be having a debate about bringing new funding sources online and creating these new programs, and instead it's turned from what can we add, what can we afford, to what can we cut, who do we hurt, what do we save? Mm -hmm. It's kind of people taking what they saw was the least bad option, but all the options were bad. That's right, at least a terrible option. And so, you know, this this session really can kind of be put into two parts, the pre-COVID-19, post-COVID-19. And because of the pandemic, Democrats who control both legislative chambers had to scale back their ambitions on some policies they had every intention of passing. We didn't see anything move forward on gun policies, the paid family leave measure, a public option for health care. That all went out the window, and these are ideas Democrats ran for office on. Right. Early on, they got the death penalty repeal done, and maybe that seemed like a big flag going up, saying that Democrats are doing big things this session. But that was in that pre-pandemic world. So many of those ideas just kind of evaporated in the in-between between between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And part of this is the timing of how legislative sessions typically work. When there are bigger, complex, controversial measures, there's a lot more meetings trying to get everyone on board and work on amendments and a lot of behind-the-scenes negotiations. So sometimes those proposals come towards the latter half of the session. The death penalty thing was... Simple in concept, they had to talk to a lot of stakeholders, etc., but not a terribly complicated legislative concept, whereas some of this other stuff, like the state public health option, had tons of moving parts and was supposed to show up, you know, in those later weeks of the session. One thing I've been pleasantly surprised with is how well lawmakers have held everything together across the political spectrum, you know, given the social distancing in place here at the Capitol, mask wearing. I mean, there were a lot of logistical issues of how this building was going to reopen and where the public would be allowed. And then we've had, you know, unexpected protests right outside of the building. Lawmakers, some of them are working remotely. That was another thing they had to figure out. So people have a lot going on in their personal lives, professional lives, and it hasn't been as contentious as it could have. Yeah. So in the initial days when they were taking several hours and the better part of a day really to debate whether or not to allow remote participation, I thought, okay, this might last longer than a few weeks. And you have seen some of those delay tactics on different controversial bills like the vaccines, but the GOP legislators haven't used them as much as they could. 
you mentioned some big measures that are happening at a pretty breakneck speed. And one of those big bills was introduced in this final week of the session. It's a Democratic-backed tax reform measure, and it seeks to eliminate certain tax breaks for businesses and high earners. And the goal is to add millions more dollars for K-12 schools. I've been watching some of the debate for that, and it's been going on for quite a while down on the uh, the floors of the chambers. Lots of different amendments to spare different types of industries. Lots of arguments about whether it's good to raise taxes on certain of these businesses, essentially, during the recession. But as, as you said, a potential source of funding when funding is badly needed. However, big question, Jared Polis, the Democratic governor, his office has said he does want to close those corporate tax loopholes, but he wants to do basically a flat tax cut for everyone, regardless of how much they earn. And that's much more in line with what you'd hear from from most Republicans wanting to do. Definitely. And I I don't think Democrats are going to get on board with that. And I was recently on a call with 26 different business groups, chambers of commerce. They are all opposed to this bill and others that they feel will hurt the economy. And they said it's the worst possible time to raise taxes for small businesses. People have already been hit so hard by this pandemic. They're pretty united in opposition. And I asked them related to the tax reform proposal, are there any amendments that they will be okay with? And for the most part, they said, no, this bill is awful and there's nothing that could be done to make it more palatable. That's not the only thing going on that will end up affecting the budget. Even today, Thursday, there's so many questions outstanding about really big pieces of the state spending. One that interests me is the senior homestead property tax exemption. They were considering getting rid of this thing that that gives senior homeowners a a discount on their property taxes. They've done it in the past. It's worth something like $150 million. And now I'm hearing that they probably actually won't tap that option. Republicans have pushed hard to keep that senior property tax exemption in place. Andy, if, if lawmakers don't eliminate it, you said it's around $150 million. Do they have to make cuts somewhere else then in the budget? That's a good question. And when I've been asking Democrats about this in the last couple of days, it seems like it's not clear to a lot of the caucus members exactly where the budget stands. What Senator Dominic Moreno, the vice chair of the Joint Budget Committee, told me was that the revenue picture was essentially shaping up in such a way that maybe they wouldn't need to do the exemption. So we'll see how much of a a debate that becomes within the party. Republicans, I'm sure, will be very glad to hear that that senior homestead tax exemption might be spared. Now on to our final segment for this podcast episode. Wait, what? And this is where we, we talk about some little fact we learned or something that stood out to us over the last few days. So Andy, I'll let you go first. I heard this wait what moment when I was watching the debate between John Hickenlooper, the former governor, and Andrew Romanoff, the former Speaker of the House, who are competing in the Democratic primary for the U.S. Senate. And I was already in a weird headspace because I'd had what turned out to be an ocular migraine, and my eyes had to get dilated at the ophthalmologist and uh, couldn't really see too well at the moment. Anyway, I'm watching this thing, and I hear Andrew Romanoff deliver the deep cut burn, the deepest cut throwback burn that you may ever hear in a political debate. And we're going to ask whether we met the moment with bold, creative leadership, whether we created a massive economic recovery plan on the scale of this downturn, or whether we settled for incremental reform. You've got a choice in this race, I think, between uh, timidity 
and leadership and adding another Herbert Hoover to the Senate or Hoover Looper is, is not going to do the trick. He's kind of trying to position Hickenlooper like Herbert Hoover, who was president during the crash and the Great Depression and uh, portraying him, I guess, to those of you who are in the know as somebody who's going to be ineffective in managing this great comeback. But the main thing that occurred to me was I think Hickenhoover kind of flows a little bit better. Well, you know what? I partially grew up in England. So when I think of Hoover, I think of vacuum cleaner. So I may not be the best person to respond to that. Um, my, my wait what moment was related to the session. And the people who operate the legislative website where you can watch the debates on the House and Senate floor, it's called the Colorado Channel. You just click on the link and you can see the video of the live debate. And I actually asked them, I I share an office with them, we do at the Capitol. And I said, hey, now that everything's remote and the Capitol building's pretty restricted, all the lobbyists said that they would work remotely. I, I said, do we have a huge uptick on people watching everything from the videos? And he, they said, not really, but one day stood out. And they said it, it's, it could be the most people they've ever had on the website watching the streams. And that was Tuesday, June 9th. So I looked back, what happened on that day? Two big bills that a lot of people are paying attention to. The police accountability measure passed the Senate and there was a debate. And then in the House, the vaccine bill had its first floor debate. So a little bit more than 11,000 were tuned in to watch that. It, you know, they show me the graphics and it was just this huge, huge spike. So they're going to do the analytics, but they think it's probably the most ever by far. Wow. It's like their sweeps week. <laughs> exactly. So that's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague, Andrew Kenny. This episode was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. To keep up with everything we've been discussing, you can follow me on Twitter at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. The end of the legislative session also means the end of this season of Purplish. But we're not done quite yet. We'll be back in your feeds next week with a bonus episode talking about the Hickenlooper-Romanoff Senate primary. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.